it really can help to tie in lots of different areas within the education system. You're also meeting your kids where they are. There's a lot of evidence to suggest that this is one way that people become interested in STEM and STEAM fields. Welcome to the Minecraft Education Edition podcast. I'm Mike Washburn. This podcast is produced in collaboration with Participate, where the world learns together. On today's show, esports is exploding in popularity all over the world. We're going to talk about how educators are using esports to engage students and how you can use Minecraft Education Edition to do that too. Let's get started. In my opinion, esports is going to be a huge part of our future. It's going to be a primary form of entertainment, both live in person and on television and streaming services. We'll have esports competitors we look up to and admire for their skill. And we'll see universities competing to offer scholarships to join their esports teams. There's no doubt in my mind it's also going to have a huge role in education. Two groups playing a big part in how the future of academic esports unfolds are Liminal Esports and Stephen Reed and Immersive Minds. I spoke to them both about their work in academic esports. When we come back, part one of our conversation about esports with Carrie Linden, Communications Specialist, and Will Parton, the Chief Research Officer from Liminal Esports. Stay with us. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Liminal Esports is focused on how and why we use games. They're trying to help educators understand the impacts of gaming and esports and education, and we're thrilled to have them with us today. Welcome, Will and Carrie. Hello. Hello. Thanks. Good to be here. So I imagine, Will, that there are a lot of people out there that just don't even know what esports is. In fact, we know that there are a lot of people out there that don't know what esports is. What is esports? So esports is the most commonly accepted term for organized video game competitions. So sort of the idea here is it's not just that you're playing a game against another person, but that there's some kind of infrastructure built up around the game in which that competition occurs. So this can you know, include sort of teams, tournament series, sponsors, viewers, broadcasters, all of these things that we traditionally associate with sports. But the really key thing here is it's all built around games that can be played against each other. And then you start actually trying to build up some kind of, of culture or community around it. And I, I guess one of the things that it's important to point out is that this isn't something that's new necessarily. I am writing a chapter or I have written a chapter for a book that's coming out centered around esports in schools. And I wrote the chapter on the history of esports. And Will, you do a lot of your research around esports and in particular, probably focus on the history of it. I mean, it's been around since the 70s, even in organized fashion. And, mm -hmm. and it, you know, it has been building since, right? Yeah. And even, you know, depending on what kind of, you know, people playing games in the 70s wouldn't have understood them as esports. Right. Um, but you get to the 1980s, uh, arcades are very popular. You start seeing arcade owners uh, really interested in who's the best player in my arcade. They start promoting them. Sponsorships get involved. Uh, Taco Bell was sponsoring arcade players in the early 80s. Um, but you can even go further back. One of my, my favorite stories is that Space War 
which is sort of traditionally considered kind of the first canonical video game. Um, the way that the people who designed it, some graduate students at MIT, chose to debut it was with the tournament. Um, so there's these great photos from sort of the, the public debut of this game was already a competitive gaming event. Um, so you can really like follow that all the way back to kind of the origins of games. Listen, I would encourage anyone who doesn't know anything about esports to go and kind of take take a deep dive into the history in particular. You'll get into things like Donkey Kong and Billy Mitchell. And I, I love bringing up The Wizard is a movie starring Fred Savage from the 80s that was centered around a Mario competition. Uh, and, uh, you know, so many other amazing stories about esports. And it, it makes perfectly clear to me why esports is captivating uh, for our students, why they're so interested in it and why it exploded the way it did. But I guess, Carrie, um, what people are going to want to know now is, you know, where is the space for esports in school? Like, how does this all fit together? Esports is kind of great because it's multifaceted. So it isn't just a sport. Uh, and I think all too often we look at esports as just being sort of this addition to an athletics department. Um, but instead, you have kind of the whole environment that surrounds esports. So with that, you have shoutcasting, broadcasting, content creation, marketing, social media management, um, journalism. There, There's a lot that encompasses the world of esports. So when you bring an esports program into the scholastic setting, you're also going to be touching on, you know, mathematics, ELA, uh, communication and cooperation, sportsmanship, content creation. Um, so you can really sort of take a lot of cross-curriculum cross like standards and connect it and embed it into your esports program. So it, it really can kind of, you know, help to tie in lots of different areas within the education system, as well as it being engaging uh, and increasing, you know, students' participation and buy-in within the school system. Uh, you're also meeting your kids where they are. You're going to find that a lot of our kids are gamers in some capacity, even though they might not identify it. As such, you know, especially if you're if you're mobile gaming, um, you might need a little nudge to be able to realize that, yeah, that still means you're a gamer. Um, but, you know, our kids are going home and they're generally playing video games and, and living this sort of online life. So incorporating that in the school system is is really sort of respecting where they are as a culture uh, and incorporating that into their school setting. This idea that, you know, this bridge to the homeschool connection is at the core of Scholastic Esports. And there's tons and tons of organizations doing really great work. You guys, and I'm thinking of NACIF and, and uh, many, many others that are, are doing great work, you know, talking about the importance of um esports and education and not just about the people pressing the buttons and playing the games but the actual ecosystem of skills and and learning that you can develop as a result of being engaged in an esports ecosystem in a school um i would love to hear carrie about some of the stories some of the ways that this is affecting students what are the potential impacts of esports in schools um i think for some it's the ability to connect with a team you know for mm. a long time in the history of, of schools you know we really don't team up unless it's sport related you know you you may have like a chess team at your school or a speech and debate but it, 
this adds a whole nother way to come in and compete with classmates. Uh, you don't have to have physical prowess. Um, so if you aren't athletically inclined, you still have the ability to participate in this very, you know, a competitive world that feels very high stakes um, the same way that, that sports does. Um, so, you know, you're, you're, you're bringing people the ability to, to join and come together as a community and, and learn how to cooperate and engage. And I think if you've got schools that didn't have that, you're, you're being able to diversify the people that can come in and connect. Uh, you know, a lot of sports teams have limited number of people that can participate depending on the capability of your school like your esports program could be huge because you could have the mm -hmm. team that's competing but you might also have the group of students that are interested in video games but don't want to compete and they might become your marketing division um, you might have a group that's really into you know designing and they might want to take on you know creating the school's jersey or they might do promotions uh, you might have kids that are learning uh, you know event production so you know, while your team is might be small, the community around that that's that's actively working with the team can be quite large. So you can really support and scaffold a larger community within your school and with a large degree of ownership. So like, you know, your football team probably doesn't utilize many students in the organization and operation of it. But your esports program might actually be largely run by students. So you have mm -hmm. a lot more opportunity for student ownership and buy-in in esports uh, settings than, than you have in a lot of other programs. Um, it also allows for a lot more diversification. You know, if, if you're looking at a school that's open to, you know, sort of cycling through various titles, you have the ability to kind of come in and join in in the, the things that interest you. So for, you know, a regular athletic department, you might only be offering, you know, baseball, soccer, football, whatever. There's 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 your set menu. With esports, you have the ability to bring in, you know, various titles throughout the course of the year. You could switch those up every year if you wanted to, depending on how you're working your program. So you can make sure that you're, you know, diversifying and allowing students to, to participate. They might not like Rocket League, but you might add Minecraft and they might be really excited about That's it. Right. So you can kind of sample different, you know, areas of your school population. Um, and again, it's something that they're doing at home. You know, when I've incorporated gaming in classrooms, uh, kids were really excited to go home and talk about what they were doing and then pick up and carry that on at home. Um, so you had a lot of parents coming in being like, okay, I know you've assigned the science assignment. I can't get the kid to stop working on it. And it's like, well, that's awesome. You know, it's so, sorry, not sorry. Right. Right. Like I'd like to say, I feel bad about that, but I really don't. You know? um, so it, it hits, you know, interest level. It's any, any time you can have kids feel that school is, his home and that it represents them and it reflects them and it respects them, you're having positive impact. And and being the, the nature of gaming, taking, you know, tying into something that kids are passionate about, you definitely increase that, um, that potential. Yeah, for sure. And it's not just anecdotal, Will. I mean, we can talk all day um, and, and have a great conversation about what we've seen in classes and, and all the great things that are going on and the, the Chris Aviles of the world and the Steve Isaacs of the world that are doing, um, awesome work with their kids in their classrooms related to esports and Minecraft. Um, 
but there's actual research going on too and not just you know small pockets but there are people doing serious legitimate research on the impact of esports in education um what are some of the things that that research is saying definitely so one thing i want to stress is that a lot of this research is in its infancy um this is you know a lot of kind of while scholars have been looking at esports in various ways for about a decade or more, a lot of the educational research is sort of just really getting its feet. And so a lot of, you know, Carrie mentioned that with esports, there's an enormous, you know, range of, of ways that people participate. It's not just about the players. But right now, a lot of the emphasis is, uh, the research emphasis is on the players. And in those cases, there's now very strong evidence that players, uh, this helps an enormous amount with sort of task cohesion and psychological safety, this sense that if you're playing with each other, uh, you're actually feeling, you know, like you have self-efficacy, you have the ability to do productive risk-taking. There's clear evidence that this helps with socio-emotional uh, socio learning. Um, likewise, there's a lot of evidence to suggest that this is one way that people come, become interested in STEM and STEAM fields. Uh, and a lot of this research comes out of, you know, a lot of this research does come out of universities, um, in part just for a matter of convenience. Professors are at universities, and as a result, sort of they're surrounded by college students. Um, but a lot of, sort of, we have that body of research about, you know, people who are between the ages of 18 and 22, uh, but we're also seeing very similar results in the research that is now being conducted on high school age students. Um, so, and I'm, I'm really excited to see how this body of research develops as we, you know, go beyond just the people who are actually playing and really start sort of getting data and engaging people doing, uh, you know, all of these sort of like important related tasks like organizing tournaments, um, doing analytics, because so much of sort of learning in esports is learning how to sift through large data sets and to sort of to draw um, the actual like patterns that are in there about how you play, which obviously have wide applicability outside of competitive gaming. Super fascinating. I always say I love listening to really smart people talk about the things they're experts at, and I've grown a fondness for listening to some of the folks doing esports research really get into the weeds about it. And, you know, so again, we have these teachers that are doing great work in the classroom, but uh, the research is like bringing the receipts and, you know, saying, Saying, okay, here's the proof. And and I love that we're able to combine kind of this like, um, you know, um, application in the classroom um, that teachers are doing kind of every day all over the place right now uh, with this, you know, serious research mode and bring those together to, to really make a case for why this is important and why this needs to keep growing. Um, so, you know, when you think esports, if you're familiar with the world, you think about things like first person shooters. You may think about Overwatch, which, you know, um, has a has a huge league. Uh, you may think of League of Legends uh, and you, you certainly think of things, especially in the kind of the scholastic esports area. You think of things like Rocket League, um, which is a super popular game. Um and, and I'm curious about Minecraft, and I know that Liminal is doing and has done work on Minecraft in esports, and I know that Steve Isaacs has done a lot of um, work in his classroom on Minecraft in esports. I'm curious about what could be unique about Minecraft in the context of esports. What I really like about Minecraft as a platform is it's diverse. You could introduce 
building challenges. You could introduce cooperative building challenges. You could do speed running. Um, you can have, you know, environmental parkour. Uh, you have the ability within this platform to potentially create a lot of different esports modes um, so that you're not just catering to one demographic. Like, yes, you could do that sort of original Hunger Games style Minecraft competition that, you know, a lot of us saw our kids competing in, you know, ages yeah. ago. Um, but you can also take it to be something else. So if you realize you've got, you know, multiple different demographics of students within your, your school environment, you can definitely tweak how you're creating the competitive play um, to better reflect the diversity within your classroom or your school environment. Yeah, it doesn't have to be about combat. Right. Like, I mean, just because it's esports doesn't mean it's combat, doesn't mean it's swords, yep. and doesn't, and certainly doesn't mean it's guns. And I think that that's, that's will probably one of the appeals of Minecraft as well, right? Definitely. And so when we were starting our, our last pilot study, we were thinking about what is sort of the right game to use here. And you know, Minecraft really, uh, you know, it's, it stuck out to us because one, you know, is this like parents had already seen it. They knew that it wasn't this sort of violent kind of game. Um, it was something they could largely get behind. It had already been used in a lot of schools and different sort of educational applications. And also there was the fact that it's one of the most popular games in the world. It has, I think, over 100 million active monthly users at this point, which is just enormous. And so that means that you have a lot of buy-in from students already. Um, even if someone isn't you know, a hardcore Minecraft player, chances are they've picked it up or they've watched a YouTube video. They have sort of some knowledge already about this is what this game is about and this is how I can use it. So that makes it a really effective way to get lots of students involved quickly. That isn't, say, true of... Um, say, you know, Dota 2 or Counter-Strike, which are maybe more, you know, more well-known as esports, but have enormously high learning curves and are substantially more niche. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there, there's tons of potential for Minecraft. And I, and again, I love that it's a family-friendly game that everyone knows and everyone loves. It makes for the perfect esports game. Um Carrie, Lyndon, and Will Parton, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you for having us. The Make and Model Worlds for Minecraft Education Edition are a fun way to introduce students to the world of competitive gameplay. The Pirate Cove lesson is set in an immersive pirate-themed Minecraft world where students develop creativity, decision-making, communication, and collaboration skills during team-based Minecraft build battles, where competitors battle it out against the clock to construct an object, person, or item. Visit the show notes to download the Make and Model Worlds today. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. You can't talk about content creation in Minecraft Education Edition without talking about Stephen Reed. Stephen Reed is a senior customer engagement project manager for Microsoft. Prior to this role for years, Stephen and his team at Immersive Minds have been building incredible worlds for students to learn and explore. And now, seven new esports worlds for students to build and compete in welcome to the podcast Stephen reed thank you very much mike thank you it's great to be here um i love the work you're doing these days 
Thank you. Thank you. Uh, you've been building amazing worlds for years um, that are just blowing people's minds. Tell us a bit about your history and about immersive minds. Yeah, so I've been using technology to teach for two decades now. Um, I, you know, 20 years ago, I was a podcasting, animation filmmaking and when I say podcasting I mean like you know audacity and some cheap microphones and I was trying to convince teachers that this was you know this is this is something we can do in class and you I were think on now, to something well that's it right and I I, I think I'm always <laughs> and I'm always tired of of what's now I want to do what's next and um, and of course technology changes and while our education system uh, has changed in some ways. It largely doesn't, and so technology moves on, but the technology, uh, but the uh, the classroom applications largely remain the same. And um, and so we've moved now from podcasting and animation and filmmaking and so on to um, to VR and artificial intelligence and game based learning. And and here's the thing: fifteen years ago, sixteen years ago, I was using the original Tomb Raider to teach Greek. You know, long mm. before, long before um, Ubisoft's uh, Discovery Tour with Assassin's mm. Creed, mm -hmm. I was I was getting mm -hmm. kids into ancient Egypt through through Tomb Raider, which of course wasn't historically accurate at all, but it was a great way of them uh, wanting to get into the subject. Like, oh, what's the Sphinx? And I'm like, well, let's go in here and find out. And we would go in and find out and and kind of uh, play from there. And I used the original uh, Command and Conquer to talk about. European history, because of course that narrative of that game is a, is an alternative history, um, one where the Nazis don't exist. And so this it was a really interesting way of saying to the kids, you know, because I was talking to kids at the time that were, I was like, where's Germany or where's France? And, and they're, they're, they, uh, somewhere in Europe, you know, we're talking about school age kids that are just learning their European geography. And I was like, actually, I've got a great way of, of looking at this. And that moved on into all sorts of games. I now use over 100 games in uh, in education, including things like Papo and Yo, Little Big Planet, uh, From Dust, uh, you know, Please Knock on My Door for, for even subjects like depression and so on. And just using games to teach has kind of been my... Um, it's been my sweet spot, I think, for my career. And so Minecraft came along uh, what would be 11 years ago now. And I picked it up instantly and just, that was the one. That that was what I'd been waiting for, was Minecraft. It was the, the block architecture, make anything you want. And of course, as a creator of resources and lessons for children, uh, and, and it's very important for me that they are relevant and meaningful, which we'll come into later when we talk more about the esports stuff. But those relevant, meaningful game-based technology lessons um, and resources, I switched on to Minecraft and was like, we could build anything. We can build volcanoes and do cross-sections of them so we can show children what they're like inside. We made planet Earth and then we sliced it in two so the kids could see all the the um, the insides. And then we, we, we made half of it hollow so the kids could have a classroom inside planet Earth. We've done religious and moral education where, you know, Christian children build mosques and and Muslim children build cathedrals and they talk to each other about the, the similarities and the celebration of, of, of their religions. We've got whole cities dedicated to what we call blockonomics, where children live, earn, pay tax, have jobs, some are homeless, uh, they have to rent or buy an apartment. There's affordable housing, non-affordable housing, they have bank accounts, they get interest. It's just, and they live within this economic bubble inside Minecraft and they learn so much. So yeah, I, I, it's been my big passion for 
11 years now and um, I just keep building. So you and your team built seven unbelievable esports worlds. Um, why don't you take us through some of the worlds that you've built a little bit? Sure. Well, let me start by saying that seven is just the start. Seven is just part one. And that's what we call our make and model series. So the important thing I know that, you know, throughout this podcast, you've already spoken about esports. And so I don't need to go into what esports is. But for me, I, I always go back to the original why I do this, why why I am driven to do this. And it's and it's about using technology in a relevant, meaningful way, preferably democratized and decolonized as well, and, and, and bringing every single learner to the table through a fun and engaging uh, learning experience. Now, when I talk about engagement, because um, I am a, an, a customer engagement um, manager for Microsoft, it's very important that I am clear about engagement is a precursor to impact. And so, you know, a rainbow colored pen engages kids for a while, but it doesn't really teach them anything. So what we have to be very, very careful about, particularly with Minecraft, is that if we're going to build engaging worlds, which we do, they must also be purposefully impactful. And so 100%. with the esports stuff, that's what I aimed to do. So what we did was we, we didn't want to lose what Minecraft does. Minecraft does a number of things. That, that we still struggle to get across the value of to adults, but children just get it. Minecraft is social and it is about building and crafting and creating. Build, craft, create and social. Even the attack kind of PvP aspect of it is is kind of minimal compared to the other things. Children love to create and then they love to show off those creations. Yeah. And so we started with an esports series called Make and Model, where the children are invited across seven arenas to compete with an opposing team. There's a green team and a yellow team and they compete with each other to prove their Minecraft skills and their imagination and their build capability. So we created a series of arenas, including, let's just start with Busy Bees, for example. Busy Bees is set in a huge American backyard with a baseball bat and uh, and baseball sitting on the porch. Because you guys have porches. In the UK, we don't have porches. And um, and there's a, there's a lawn and there's flowers and there's mushrooms. And basically, the children are the size of a bee. And then they have to compete against a rival hive of bees. So there's the green bees and the yellow bees. And what they have to do is they have to build a, uh, in a, in a designated space, they have to build a, um, uh, a, a, well, any object really. I'm trying to think what it is that they would build, but th that's all down to the teacher because what we've done is we've created um, themes. So they're curriculum themes. So with Busy Bees, for example, it's pollination and nature and mm. life in your backyard. So it could be that they have to build pollen on a molecular level. And they have to then go away, research that, come back, build it. And then the teacher kind of gauges that. It could be that they just have to build a bee or a grasshopper or a butterfly. Um, or it could be that they have to build a bird's egg hatching. So they've got this, you know. And then what we do is we build within that set skills. So we need to see a range of colours. We need to see accuracy. We need to see uh, the concepts of scale. And what we're really trying to do... We have to see, for example, redstone. Maybe even if they use a little code, we're happy with that as well. And these things can all be can all be um, scored. And what we're really looking for is to merge through this experience as many of the the curriculum 
thinking skills, but also the pedagogical practice that teachers need to see in classrooms and teachers, uh, sorry, and students need to receive. So we're looking at things like we want kids to be able to collaborate, but we also want them to be able to compete and we want them to be um, to organise themselves into teams. We want them to communicate effectively. We want them to make uh, sound decisions and informed decisions and be able to justify those decisions at the end when the teacher says, why did you build that? Why did you choose this colour? Why did you choose that scale? Um, we want them to practice as well a lot of the physical things like we want them to look at, I mean, quite already in South Africa, we've had children using graph paper to plan in advance because you know what esports teams are like. They're like, oh, we have to practice. So they mm -hmm. grab graph paper and they practice because they know that in the upcoming Pirate Cove final, they're going to have to build a cannon that is mid-shot. So they know they're going to need flames and they're going to need sparks and they're going to need a mid-air cannonball and stuff. So they plan all of this on graph paper. Right. And so we have a whole range of arenas that challenge children to build and compete. That's amazing. And I think what I love about these worlds the most is that they turn over the typical model for what people think of as esports uh you know the the guns and the shooting and, and yeah. the blood and the whatever these worlds prove that you can have an incredible competitive atmosphere without all the shooting right oh absolutely that was one of my now don't get me wrong um going forward we've actually taken the same arenas and we've turned them into what would feel more like genuine esports experiences so the, sure, pirate, yeah. the pirate cove one that's coming has has you know skeletons that like you have sword to defeat fighting and, so on. and stuff like yeah, that and sword fighting super cool and that's still to come but but actually um the truth is it was very very important for me to prove that minecraft itself is and can be an esports title without making guns and shooting people and having a you know if you've got a green shotgun compared to a purple shotgun to name uh you know to to to, to point at one particular esports title um doesn't make you a better player necessarily um minecraft right. is all about student skill student mm -hmm. thought processes student um you know capability uh student knowledge of of their blocks and so on and so we really wanted to focus in on that and so I think, and we've successfully done that. I mean, already we've only been launched officially for five days and we've got leagues popping up all over the place. We've got universities asking us to do research uh, projects on it. We've, uh, it's just incredible. The, 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 the buy-in from students in particular is incredible. And I'll tell you, for years and years and years, I've been super passionate about giving students the opportunity to have an artifact of their learning, something they can take away with them to show what they've done. I think it builds agency. I think it builds engagement when they can say, here is what I learned and show people that. And so kind of a, an amazing aspect of these worlds is that you have these build competitions, but then you can 3D print what you've built. And that seems absolutely amazing to me. Yeah. So all of our Esports content in Minecraft is built within Minecraft Education Edition specifically. And That's one right. of the great features of Education Edition is that it has a structure block built in. Incidentally, you can access the, stru access the structure block in Bedrock. <laughs> you heard it here first. Um, but ultimately, there's a structure block. And what that does is it allows you to set an area within which anything that's built 
can then be exported as a GLB file. And so what we've done is we've dedicated this build space, each of the areas within either busy bees or binary builders or where you're inside a giant computer, incidentally, um, or Gold Rush, where you're on the California Gold Rush uh, in a Western town. Um, and the build area that children actually compete in has one of these structure blocks preset at the corner. And so all the teacher has to do at the end is click when the kids are done and it's all been marked, the teacher just clicks the structure block and exports, just clicks the export button. It's all preset. We've done all it's the like work magic, for you. Man. And then it's that's like it. It just exports as a file and then you can send that to and here's the thing, Mike, it's not just uh it's not just 3D printing. It's virtual reality, mixed right. reality, merge cubes, paint 3D. Like you can give this to your kids in any format. You can embed the 3D object into PowerPoint and then make it part of a kid's presentation uh, thereafter and OneNote and so on. And so what we end up with is this gorgeous little file that long after the eSports experience is over, the children have this either digital or 3D printed physical artifact of their learning and their experience. It's uh, it's absolutely incredible. The make and model lessons are available now uh, we would encourage you to head to the show notes for uh, the ways in which you can uh, experience these lessons. Stephen Reed, thank you so much for your time today. I'm really excited to see what people do with these lessons as they get in and start playing them. Absolutely. Oh, and I thought I would mention, sorry, just before you finish, Mike, they're all free. Go get them. <laughs> they're all free. Go get them. Thanks so much, Stephen. <laughs> Thanks, Mike. Take it easy. Join the Minecraft Education Challenge. This virtual build challenge invites students around the world to learn about issues related to sustainability and inclusion, then design solutions with Minecraft Education Edition. You can create your own prompt that invites students to address a local issue impacting your school, community, or region. This could be something like designing a more accessible version of your classroom in Minecraft. Think about people with different learning styles and disabilities, so the space is a safe and inspiring environment for everyone to be healthy. Or build a more sustainable version of your school in Minecraft. Consider a holistic definition of sustainability, which may involve rethinking energy systems, recycling, transportation, and how nature plays a role. Share progress and stories of your challenge experience via Twitter and Facebook. And tag us using our Twitter handle at PlaycraftLearn and the hashtag MinecraftChallenge. And then post your results on the Minecraft Challenge Flipgrid page. We've added a link to that page in the show notes. We're so excited to see what you build. Thanks for listening to the Minecraft Education Edition podcast. My name is Mike Washburn. This podcast is produced by Participate, where the world learns together. Find out more at participate.com. You want to get in touch with us? Check out our website at education.minecraft.net. Connect with Minecraft Education Edition on Twitter at PlaycraftLearn. You can connect with me directly at Mr. Washburn. If you're enjoying the show and think others would too, we would be thrilled if you shared it with them. Please leave us a rating or review in Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. When you leave a rating, it gives our rankings a boost, and this helps others to discover the show. Thanks for listening, stay awesome, and we'll see you soon.